You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. We're in the book of Philemon. The first book, the first week we went over a, a big overview of the book. The second week we looked at the three characters in the book of Philemon, the three main characters. That is the Apostle Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Onesimus is this escaped slave. Philemon is this man, this well-to-do man who is a servant of Jesus. This well-to-do man um, who who owns Onesimus. Onesimus has escaped, and he finds Paul, who he knew before, Paul shackled in Rome, and Paul leads him to Christ. Calls him mine own son, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Last week, we looked at two major doctrines that are found in this book, and today, we're going to re-examine them rather quickly. They're big, uh, deep doctrines, and I know that I don't mean to expound on every little detail about the doctrines. That's certainly not my intention, and I don't think that I could even really encompass all. Uh, what I'm saying is that I don't really understand or know all of what those doctrines encompass, and even what I've portrayed to you here last week and what I will this week, listen, the doctrines of mediation and the doctrine of imputation is found in so many places in Scripture. Last week, we kind of ended on a on a, on a note where there was something left hanging simply because I ran out of time to make identification, or I'm sorry, application. So what we are going to do this week is we're going to re-examine uh, those two doctrines, not as in much detail as we did the week before, but we'll re-examine them. And we will also look at another doctrine that's in the book of Philemon. What I intended to do originally was to do that and then look at the doctrine of identification and then also look at forgiveness. Uh, Kind of a ridiculous idea of me to think about doing because that is way too much. Even what I have here this morning um, is a bit too much, but it's what needs to be covered in order to complete this. So before we go further, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for... Thank you for your word. Lord God, I just pray that you would use your words this morning, Lord, that you would convict hearts, that you would encourage hearts, Lord, that you would take the words of my tongue, Lord, and just take my heart, fill me with your Holy Ghost, keep me filled, Lord. Uh, And I just pray that this would be extremely profitable to your saints this morning, Lord, that you you would help us all out this morning, Lord, that you would pick up, Lord, where I'm just going to leave things hanging, Lord. I know that I do that, Lord. I just pray that you would um, just speak to us in a big way. Make things understandable this morning, Lord. Make them applicable. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. Amen. While we are in Philemon, um, you can turn to any chapter in Philemon that you want to. Ha, 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 corny joke, right? Uh, verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. That means that while I was in here in this prison, I led him to Christ. 
which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Isn't that the case of each and every one of us, that we are unprofitable to God, but because we are now in Christ, we can actually become profitable to God? That is, that is an amazing doctrine. That is an amazing... Don't, don't ever get over the fact that who you are, you are unprofitable to God. But God fills you with his Holy Ghost and he looks at you as being in Christ and he says, I'm going to make that soul profitable. That's an amazing thing. Remember the name Onesimus means profitable. He was a slave who was unprofitable and then became a slave that is profitable both in the spirit and in the flesh. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, that is the doctrine of mediation. We read on, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel, but without thy mind would I do nothing, because that would be unethical and wrong. That thy benefit should not be as it were of a necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. We have a picture there, not a complete picture, but a picture of relation to a prodigal son. Onesimus wasn't really a son to begin with, but he had a relationship with his master so that he would return um, as a prodigal one. Verse 16, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord, let me just say, because I know that I won't get to it, but you as a child of God, being saved by the grace of God, you ought to be profitable to those whom you work for. We shouldn't be lazy workers. We shouldn't just be punching a time clock. We should do our jobs, whatever job that we have, as unto the Lord. That's Bible that's biblical. If you're not doing that, then you're bringing shame to the name of Christ. And I can testify that I have brought shame to the name of Christ through not doing my jobs in the past as unto the Lord. And I think if we're all honest, each and every one of us would say that we've been there too. Don't be lazy. Verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. We're going to look at the doctrine that's revealed there in verse 17, a doctrine called the doctrine of identification. Um, and we go on and it reads in verse 18, which is a doctrine we dealt with last week. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee, I put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self Besides, what doctrine is revealed there? Hmm? Yes, the doctrine of imputation. So we have here the story of Philemon. I will recount it very quickly, just in case you're unfamiliar with it or you weren't here last week or the week before that or you just can't remember. Remember, this is an escaped slave. He sees Paul in Rome it's illegal for him to escape as a slave. He's in trouble. He's trying to hide in Rome. He finds Paul in prison. Paul leads him to the Lord. Paul says, he's been serving me for a while, Onas, Philemon, but I, I won't 
allow him to continue to serve me without your permission. So I'm going to send him back to you. And I want you, whenever you receive him, you're reading this letter. He's giving you this letter. I want you to receive him. That is mine own bows. I want you to receive this man that I love. I want you to love him too. But I don't want you to just receive him as that. I want you to receive him as mine own self. And then he goes on and says, I think I'll be delivered um, from prison. And I ask you that you would prepare for me a place of lodging, and the letter ends. We here have in verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou, ther thou therefore receive him, that is my own bowels. We have here the doctrine of mediation, that is a mediator, one who can stand between two parties and settle their differences. Sort of, kind of like a lawyer one who would argue and make a case to settle the differences. Now, when you consider the doctrine of mediation and you consider it in the eyes of God, you need to understand that in 1 Timothy 2, 5, the Bible says, now there is one God. God is not divided. None of his attributes are divided. He's not divided into parts. Jesus Christ and God the Father, they are one. There's a trinity there that you and I can't really understand, but they are one. So it's not as if Jesus Christ is going, just please understand this as we go through these doctrines. It's not as if Jesus Christ is going to the throne and trying to convince the Father to change his mind and to come away from what justice is, what proper judgment is. It's not that at all. God the Father and God the Son are in complete agreement as to what is needed, what they're looking for. Yet still, God the Son mediates on our behalf. He settles the differences. What differences are those? I want you to turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And it would be a good idea... I'm going to fly through a bunch of verses. I'm going to read a lot of verses this morning. So I won't wait for you to get to those verses. I would recommend that you just keep your finger in Ephesians 2 and listen to the other verses that I read. But if you want to turn there, um, that would be fine as well. Ephesians chapter 2, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Just as Onesimus was, was separated from his master Philemon, we are separated from God. The Bible has it in view that in time past, before we were redeemed, before we were reconciled, we were children of wrath, we were children of Satan himself, fulfilling the desires and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling those things, the plan of Satan for our lives. We were separated from God. The Bible tells us we were enemies of God. As far apart as we could possibly get to God, we needed a mediator, somebody who could come and fill the gap and stand between God and man and bridge the gap and bring us together, reconcile us. 
In verses 11 and 12, wherefore remember that ye were in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Don't ever forget where Christ has redeemed you out of. Don't ever forget where Christ has saved you from. Because as long as we go on in our Christian life and forget who we once were, this is why Paul reminds fellow believers over and over again to remember where you came from. Remember what you are and what God has redeemed you out of. Remember your need for a mediator. Remember your need for that reconciliation. There is a great need. Remember, we examined Job chapter 9 last week. We read through a good number of the verses in there where Job in his affliction is crying out to God and saying, saying in verse 20, he says, If I justify myself, my, mo- my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. In other words, Job in that chapter is saying, listen, I don't know of any sin particularly that God is judging me for, but I do know that I am sinful. That if I had to stand before God and try to justify myself, my own mouth would condemn me. In other words, no matter how perfect you are, no matter how good of a Christian life you live, you are always completely undone before the eyes of God because you are still sinful. You are still in the flesh. Man cannot come to God because he is already sinful, unable to pay for his sins. There is nothing that you and I can do for our sins. Listen, I know that there's a lot of gospel in this, but you and I revisiting the gospel is something very important. It's something that we can make applications to our lives. It's something that we can grow in appreciation of what God has done for us. The day that you got saved, you got saved from hell, you understood the plan of salvation, the Holy Spirit revealed it to you, and you accepted it by faith, but you didn't realize all that was connected to salvation. It is so very important for us to digest and chew and meditate on these doctrines. Doing so will make you more Christ-like because you will grow in appreciation of what is entailed in salvation. Man cannot come to God because he's already sinful. Job 9.32, Job exclaims, I can't go to him, and then he says, yeah, I can't, he can't come to me, for he is not, this, the he can't come to me isn't a quote, but he says, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. It's not possible for me to approach the throne of grace, and God says, why should I allow you into heaven, and me say, well, I've done a pretty good job living for you. We can't possibly do that. We would be thrown out of the presence of God because we are unholy and only holiness and only righteousness can dwell in the throne of God and the presence of God. You and I can't approach to God. God can't approach to us because we are completely unholy and unholy. You need to understand that the doctrine of mediation, God becoming a mediator, he didn't need a mediator for himself. 
We were the ones that needed the mediator. This whole idea, this whole teaching in the scriptures about a mediator, it's not like God said, oh man, I really need to figure out how to solve this. God didn't have any problems to solve. He's God. He's by himself altogether good and perfect and needs nothing. What he did in providing us a mediator was simply out of a lack of love for us. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it. See, there wasn't a problem with God. When we consider a mediator in this life, we have two parties that are at a disagreement. Usually, both sides have problems. Usually, both sides are at least partially guilty. In this case, in this case of mediation, God is not guilty at all. He is holy and just. His commandments are pure and good. He is not guilty at all. We are the guilty ones. We are the ones who are in need of a mediator. And thus, remember, Job exclaims in Job 9.33, I thought I copied that verse. I'm trying to remember it. I can't quote it from memory. In Job 9.33, he says, Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. A daysman. In other words, a mediator. Job says, listen, in my day and age, this is years past, this is before Jesus Christ came to earth. Job says, there's no one who can lay hands on God and lay hands on man and bring us together. An angel can't do that. There's no creation that could ever do that. And God cannot approach and demand because he's sinful. Job says, he can't come to me. What conversation could I have with him? I have no ground to stand on. It should be, I'm going I'm to just take a moment here to do a little rabbit trail. Okay. If you look up the word daysman, the Hebrew word is translated, listen to this, reprove, rebuke, reproved, plead, reason, rebuketh, reproveth, appointed, corrected, reprover, arguing, chasten, sorry, convinced, correct, correction, daysman, dispute, judge, maintain, rebuke, and rebuked and wise. Those are a lot of words. When you study the Bible, make sure that you understand what it means in English before you try to understand what it means in a language that you can't speak and you don't know. It's where many men have gotten themselves into trouble and retranslating the scriptures. You see, if we were to retranslate that and say, oh, well, it says daysman here, okay, that's a word for mediator, but... Maybe it could also mean judge, so replace that word with judge. Well, you can't do that. It doesn't mean the same thing. You could possibly use those other, some of those other words to help you come to a fuller understanding of that. But what I'm charging to you is be very, very careful about studying a language that you don't know. 
make sure you understand what it means in English. I'm not condemning Hebrew studies. I'm not condemning Greek studies. Most certainly I wouldn't stand up, up, up in front of this pulpit and do that because I know that that would be in disagreement with my pastor. I most certainly wouldn't do that. Even if I felt, like that, felt that way, I wouldn't do that. What I'm saying is that when you look up a Hebrew word, and it says, it has a list, this, it can also, has also been translated, this, 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 this. That doesn't mean that you can pick and choose any old word there and replace that word with that word. The translators chose daysmen for a reason. I spoke about this a while back in Acts chapter, um, I forget what chapter it is, but the only, word where, the only place where Easter is found in the Bible. It's every other time that word is translated Passover. And men have taken that passage and just run it amok and say, or Easter, but really it means Passover. It doesn't mean Passover. It doesn't make sense. The scriptures don't make sense if you change it to Passover. And it's amazing how men who don't even speak the language of Greek and don't even speak the language of Hebrew will take and interchange words and change then the meaning of the passage and therefore correct men who actually fluently spoke these language and many, languages and many others. That is the height of ignorance and arrogance. To take a concordance in a dictionary for a language that you don't know, because you have to use a concordance and dictionary, and retranslate the Bible. Just leave it be. Back on trail. Job's cry for a mediator later became God manifest in the flesh. For there is one God and one mediator. The man, the man, Christ Jesus. I spent some time trying to unfold that last week. It's not an easy concept to get as to why, why God couldn't be the mediator himself and why there was no man who ever lived who can be the mediator and why there's no angel that could ever be the mediator, that it must be the God-man. It must be 100% God and 100% man. That's why Job cries out, oh, that there would be a daysman betwixt us that could bring us together in judgment. You see, my brothers and sisters, we live in a time since the time of Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross and resurrecting and going into the throne of grace where there's an altar and he can apply his blood. We live in a time that Job and Moses and David and all the patriarchs of the faith, Isaiah, Jeremiah, every single one of them longed that they would have the relationship that you and I have because we have a mediator. A mediator. Someone who can go between me, an undone sinner full of sin, and God, somebody who is holy. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's not... Just those who God elected when we take perverted senses of the word elect in the Bible. In other words, that's, that's a verse that a Calvinist has trouble explaining and he has to, he has to redefine what every means. 
what every man means. That he should taste death for every man, for it became him by whom all, are all things, and by whom... For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Praise the Lord. In other words, God became a perfect mediator, a captain of our salvation. You see, we, we can't have a captain, somebody who leads an army, that can't relate to us. How do we follow and live a godly life if we don't have somebody to follow after? How do we in this Christian army follow a captain who can't relate to what it means to suffer and can't relate to what it means to be tempted? We have this man, this God-man, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, who came here and offered us as himself a captain of salvation because he experienced temptation. Thus, we can follow his example of how to avoid temptation. Because he experienced pain and sorrows and suffering, then we can know what to do when we go in this Christian battle through pain and sorrows and suffering. Verse 11 in Hebrews 2, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Skipping down to verse 17 in Hebrews 2, 2 Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. Remember the problem of Job. Oh, that I might have a day's men betwixt us. Guy can't go to him. He can't relate to me. Oh, that I might have a daysman betwixt us, he says. Hebrews 2.17 says, Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. To be made like man. God manifest in the flesh. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself self hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. The doctrine of mediation. That God manifests in the flesh, that because he's God manifest in the flesh, he's able to reconcile the differences between you and God, between you as a sinner and a holy God, and he's able to take you who is tempted and secure them, to, to bring them in, to show them how to overcome temptation. The mediation. Hebrews 5, 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he, yet learned he. God learned something. I am not being blasphemous when I say that God learned. The omniscient God, the all-knowing God learned something. That's what the Bible says. 
God had never experienced temptations. He had never known what it was like to suffer. Hebrews 5, 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect. More complete, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But if Jesus Christ goes to the throne room and says, why don't you settle your differences, God, between you and man? God says, no, I, I, I cannot. It's not enough that you just love them. It's not enough that you come to me and say, receive them. That is mine own bowels. Receive him, these people that I love. It's, it's not quite enough. And entertain me while I use this imagination. I understand the pitfalls. I understand the shortcomings. We, we identified early on that God and Jesus, they're not arguing. They're one. They're in 100% agreement. But it is not enough for God to, for Jesus to say, receive them. That is my own bowels because we owe something to God. We owe him a debt that we could never pay. That's where we examine the doctrine of imputation. And in Philemon verses 18 and 19, uh, Paul says, if he hath wronged thee or owes thee, I put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hands. I will repay it. He has a debt to you that he owes. I will pay you back. This is the doctrine of imputation. You and I owe a debt to God that we cannot, we cannot repay. It is interesting that if you do a word study on the word imputation, if you find out where it's used, those forms of the word imputation, in the New Testament, it is always used in the matter of the fact that you are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Every single time the context of imputation. For Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Imputation to give credit. And the amazing thing is that you and I and what we receive in our imputation, we receive credit for something that we don't deserve. You can't deserve or merit imputation. You can't deserve or merit the fact that Jesus Christ suffered and bore your sins on the cross. You can't deserve or merit. You can't work your way into meriting righteousness. And these are the things that are involved in imputation. That my sins are laid to on his shoulders as he suffers and as he dies on the cross. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, not for his own, he was sinless. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Not that Jesus was a sinner. Be careful the commentators that you read. Some of them will tell you that this doctrine means that Jesus Christ became a sinner. N no. That's blasphemy. 
Jesus Christ became sin for us. He represented our sin. That is my lying, my cheating, my stealing, every single sin that I have ever committed or I will ever commit. Every single person who's ever existed on the face of earth, that God, when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross for our sins, that God put those sins, each and every one of them, and put it on our account, or put it on his account, so that Jesus then could suffer and pay the penalties for our sin. If he hath wronged thee, put it on my account. Jesus goes to God enters the throne room of heaven with his blood and says, if they have wronged thee, if they have wronged thee, put it on my account. But we need to understand that this doctrine of imputation only applies to those who have received the eternal plan of salvation by faith. That is why we read in the scriptures that every time a word form of that is used, it's always connected in the fact that we are saved by grace through faith not of our own works. Not only do we, we get our sins, every single one of them placed on the cross of Jesus Christ, on his shoulders, not only does he become sin for us, but we receive his righteousness. The Bible says, And having made peace through the blood of the cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, remember where you came from? Remember this reconciliation, this mediation, this imputation, they all go together. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable? My brothers and sisters, there's a lot of blame that I have. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ, through the doctrine of imputation, presents me as unblameable. And Paul is writing to Philemon and says, the sins, the ways in which I, Onesimus has wronged you, you put that on my account so that he's holy, unblameable, unreprovable in your sight. And Jesus Christ does the same for us. Not only does he take all of our sin away, but he takes his own righteousness. He takes his own blamelessness. He takes his own holiness and puts that on us so that we can be called unblameable, holy, unreprovable in his sight. Listen. Hallelujah. If there's no other application that you take out of this, it ought to fill your soul with joy of what God has done for you. The fact that you as a sinner, alienated, under the wrath of God, can be can enter the presence of God and be looked at as holy, unblameable, unreprovable. Job didn't have that. He didn't have that. Abraham didn't have that. Moses didn't have that. We have that because of the work of Jesus Christ and all that was entailed in salvation. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. You're looking for peace? Peace is found in him. Who hath made 
both one, God and man, one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That which separated me from God, Jesus Christ through his blood, has, has broken down that wall. There is no wall between me and God except the, my own individual sins that I must confess on a daily basis. Once that's taken care of, I have absolute access to God as if, as if he views me as Jesus Christ. And this is where we get into the doctrine of identification. Paul later says, he says, receive him, that is, mine own bowels. And then he says, receive him as myself. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. That is, Philemon, when you look at Onesimus, you know our relationship. I led you to Jesus Christ. You know that you owe me everything. Because I presented the gospel to you and you got saved. Paul says this to Philemon. And he says, you look at Onesimus, this man who has wronged you, I want you to forgive him. I want you to receive him. That is mine own self. And he's done, if he's done anything wrong and you want to be repaid, I, I will do it. But I want you to not just receive him because I love him. I want you to receive him as if he is me. There's a beautiful doctrine in there in which Jesus Christ can approach the throne of heaven and you and I being identified in scripture, scriptures as in Christ. In Christ. That that is our identification in this world and in the throne room of heaven. In Christ. Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into heavens, Jesus, the, uh, the Son of God, hold, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, mediation, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, on this account, because of mediation being made possible, because of imputation, and because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, all of you sitting here today, you have needs. Some of them are physical. Some of them are spiritual. You have needs. And, and Paul is revealing to us, or whoever the writer of, of Hebrews is revealing to us that, listen, Jesus Christ became, God became man so that he could die on the cross and so that he can reconcile to the enemies of God, to God himself, so that we could be imputed as righteous and holy and unblameable in his sight so that we could actually approach the throne room of heaven. When Job said years ago, I can't approach into him. If I were trying to justify myself, I'm full of sin. I can't approach unto him. And now for the first time ever, the Bible says, in this age of grace, in the age of the church in which we live, the Bible says that we can approach unto God. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen, Christian, the practical application for you in your daily life is that when you confess your sins, remember that you are forgiven. Therefore, that middle wall of petition is broken down that you might approach the throne room of heaven. And remember in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible tells us, When we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are identified, you are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Being in Christ. Being identified as, not as Christ, but in Christ. Christ. Being when you approach the throne room of heaven, Jesus, God sees Jesus. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the Spirit of, again to bondage, but you have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You are a son of God. And if you are a son of God, Romans chapter 8 goes on to tell us that we are heirs. Heirs of eternal riches and promises. And if we are heirs and sons of God, then we are joint heirs with Christ. That means we rule and reign with Christ. We will one day, because we are in Christ and identified with him, we will rule and reign with him. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us to us the ministry of reconciliation. We've touched on the fact that because of these doctrines, mediation, identification, imputation, that you are able now to approach the throne room of grace, to find help in the time of need, that you are able to relate to a Jesus who knows what it, who knows what it feels like to be tempted and who knows what it feels like to have sorrow and trouble and pain. Therefore, you can have no other better best friend than Jesus Christ himself. So beautiful doctrines and application. And not only that, but you can be a type of mediator on the behalf of mankind when you enter the throne room of heaven through your prayers and pray for your brothers and sisters and for the lost folks around you and for those who are in governments and in authorities. Not only that, the Bible says that he has, he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of giving out the gospel so that we might be, in a sense, helping reconcile man who is lost and undone in his sins to God. I know that I had a very short time in Russian application. I spent maybe a little bit too, too long in, in exposing some of those doctrines again. But I just hope and pray that at the very least, what you can take from this, imputation, identification, mediation, that you can lift up your hands and say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Could you close us in prayer?
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.